Today's passage is from Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15. The judgment of the dead. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name is not, was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, good morning, uh, Lord's love. If you haven't opened up your Bibles, as Evelyn was reading for us, I encourage you to do so. Uh, We're continuing on in our series uh, through the book of Revelation called Future in Focus. And we're learning what it looks like uh, to live our lives with the future in focus, with uh, clarity, uh, with uh, God's vision of our lives and how he would have us see what life is really, really all about. And today is one of those short passages that pack a punch Right, it's only four or five verses, uh, four, five verses, depending on how you want. Uh, um, And and it packs a punch, and it ought to shake us to the very core of of our being. I I definitely, when I was wrestling with this passage uh, this week and just reading it through over and over and over again, just the reminder for us and the encouragement for us as well uh, of the power of God uh, that that we all possess as as believers. October is Missions Month, so as I mentioned, we're in our series on Revelation. This is the last two of the, of the series, uh, this week and, and next week, uh, where we preach on uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, so come back for next week as we end Revelations. But October is Missions Month, where as a church, we take that time to focus on missions, what it means to be out on mission, uh, what does it mean to be sent by God into the different places of the world, whether it's a school or your workplace. So I'm excited uh, for that. Uh, Andy Bay will be back. I know uh, he's been challenging us. So October 1st, he'll be preaching uh, on Acts. And then the uh, rest of the, uh, rest of the uh, October will be focusing actually on our churches, our congregations, mission, vision, and values, and how that actually leads us into living out uh, our mission uh, for God. Uh, yeah, so come on back next week, uh, Book of Revelation, we'll finish uh, that up. And we'll also, uh, every, every week, it's Truth and Reconciliation, but next Sunday, we're going to have a little touch and focus on that as well in terms of our work uh, of reconciliation uh, here in Vancouver. As you, some of you may know, I'm studying right now, uh, and the school that I'm in is in Toronto. And earlier this year, I had a chance to meet Dr. Tim Tang, I had a, a, a great lunch with him, a great conversation. He's the director of the Tyndale Intercultural Ministries Center. Uh, I thought it was named after him because his name is Tim, and T- uh, Tyndale Intercultural Ministry Center, it's also T-I-M. And I'm like, oh, is it named after you? He's like, no, 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 I, I just came in, I'm a small potato, like, you know, come in. And it just so happened to match uh, with my name. But he's had uh, quite a bit of influence within the ethnic church circles, uh, in the cross-cultural ministry circles. 
circle, so I was able to pick his brain a little bit. And as we shared a meal uh, over cafeteria food, uh, because we only had 40 minutes or so, uh, he just shared his life story and his testimony, and I did as well. And I just found how we resonated with one another, how he received his calling into ministry also in the missions field, how he had a similar experience of serving God in missions, and then it was in that serving uh, at the service of God in the missions field that he was able to contemplate and, and listen to the things of God and was able to discern uh, the direction that God would have in his life. So after that missions uh, trip, uh, he dedicated his life to full-time uh, uh, ministry work and he became a pastor and then later on at the director at, at, at Tyndale in the uh, Tim Center. It was also just last fr- Friday that we celebrated uh, his life. 49 years old, if you could see, uh, the, 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 um, if you can see his birth date and his death date. It was within just this January, we had this lunch uh, with him, his conversation throughout, because I'm also in his course right now, as I'm interacting with him online, and all of a sudden we realized, hey, we haven't heard from him for a while. Uh, what, what, what was going on? And we found out that he was on a family vacation uh, over Labor Day weekend, he had some trouble breathing, and the paramedics in the hospital tried their best, but he passed. 49 years old, just like that, leaving behind three young kids, uh, three kids, and his wife, and siblings, and his family. And I, I just was thinking about this as our, as our seminary has been mourning, because not only did he pass uh, uh, on September 4th, but just last week, our Old Testament professor and theologian also passed, so the seminary's grieving. Uh, during, during this time, but just the reminder of how fragile life is. How fragile, just tomorrow's not guaranteed. Today we're here, but tomorrow we don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know what's gonna happen, happen next. And as, as I start with the story, the passage today ought to rock us because many of us, no matter how old we are, we think that it's never gonna happen to us, that there's always more life, there's always more that's going on. Maybe we take life a little bit for granted. But Revelations has been rocking my worldview because the book of Revelation isn't just about vision and seeing, it's not a crystal ball looking into the future, it's actually a book about discipleship. It's a book about what it means to live out our lives for Jesus. And Daryl Johnson in his book, which we've been using all throughout this whole series, he asked this question, what what if you die tonight and find yourself standing before God and God asked you, why should I let you enjoy eternal life with me? What would you say? What would you say if you're before God and that was it? And he asked you this question, why should I let you spend eternal life with me? Why should I allow you to have the privilege to be in my presence for all of eternity? What would you answer to God as you looked him, if you could look him in the eye at that moment? And here's the big idea for us this morning is that all accounts, all accounts will be settled in the end. And maybe some of us feel like we're living on borrowed time or there is no time and we're just living our own lives full of our own choices and, and we're, we're our own free person in a sense that I can do whatever I want whenever I want and no one will ever know, no one will ever see. But we see in the passage here today that all accounts, boring from the accounting world, all accounts will be settled. At the end, all the debts will be paid. Everything will be balanced when we stand before God in heaven. And there is an account 
Well, as we see in the passage today, you're like, well, Doug, how do we know? Well, we'll see in the passage today that there is an account where everything will be written down. In fact, if you like enjoying biographies, uh, John Mark Homer, uh, he encourages, he's a, a writer and a pastor in the States, uh, heavily more uh, in the in the world of spiritual disciplines and prayer and, and whatnot. And these days, he says every single year he challenges his church and his people to read a biography of their choice, just to learn about other people and how God has been working in, in their lives. Uh, but did you know that you also have a biography written about you? Before you even read it, before you even, you even know that in heaven, there's all of us have a biography. All of us have a biography of every single detail, of every single thought, of every single, every single thing that's been said and thought, every attitude, every action, a biography that's fold out in full detail of every single one of us. And I'm telling you this, and the text is saying this this morning, and I'm telling you this this morning because the text is saying it this morning, that we ought to be aware of that. And secondly, not only because the text, I'm telling you this because the text says so this morning, I'm telling you because I love you guys. I love you too much not to tell you this this morning, that all accounts will be paid in the end, and at the end, we're going to want to look God in the face and say, because I love you, because I follow you, because I know you, that's why I want, I am going to be spending eternity with you. So I hope this morning, everything that we read, everything that we see, everything that you hear will be heard through the lens of love, even from God, even in a short packed passage like this, because all accounts will be settled in the end. So why does this matter? How do I get to this? How do we understand this? There's quite a few observations. I'll move through this pretty quickly because there's a great white throne in heaven, a great white throne throne. Revelations 20.11, then I saw a great white throne. The word for great is mega. Uh, there's a mega <laughs> throne uh, in heaven. Great, not in terms of size, but in terms of intensity. In terms of intensity uh, and also in, in, terms of, uh, in, in terms of power. And it's white because it's a symbol of purity. It's a symbol for, for justice. And, and in fact, thrones, the word throne appears throughout Revelation. Uh, throughout the uh, New Testament, some 62 times and 44 times in the New Testament alone. And can anyone guess? Uh, there's throne scenes uh, in Revelation, and we've been using numbers uh, to represent. Uh, uh, John has been seeing numbers, and we've been reading about numbers that represent certain things. And there's a certain uh, number of throne scenes in Revelation. Anyone can guess how many there are? It's one of the numbers about completion and perfection. Uh, it's seven. There are seven throne scenes in the book of Revelation, and this one completes it all as we go into Revelations 21 and 22 as well. And fascinating that through every throne scene, there's some sort of proclamation going on. There's some sort of hymn that's sung, some sort of song that's sung. So we see that when we come before God, there's a type of worship that happens, that we can't stand before God and just not react that there's this kind of worship when we stand before God. So there's this great white throne. And before this great white throne of justice and of purity, that there will be judgment and that all accounts will be paid. We also observe that someone is seated on the throne and him who was seated on, the, on it. And you're like, who's him? Well, throughout Revelations, we've been reading, it's Jesus the lamb and Jesus the lion. It's God the father. There's also the spirit that's present. So you're asking here if... You're hearing this for the first time. You're like, well, which one is it? Who's sitting on the throne, Doug? 
Who is John seeing? Is it, is it Jesus, the Son? Is it God, the Father? Is it the Holy Spirit that's sitting? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes to all of them. That in the end, when we see the great white throne, all of God, all of him is sitting in heaven. And there's this great theological term that maybe you've heard before, perichoresis, that speaks of how if you were able to split God in half, every part of God, all of him is all trinity. Every part of him is father. Every part of him is son. Every part of him is spirit. So there, seated on the throne is all of God. All of God is seated there. We also notice, thirdly, that the earth and the sky will fade away in the end. The earth and the foundations fled from his presence, from the holiness of God, and there was no place for them. You see, because we're sinful, we're broken, we missed the mark, that we, as we live in the world, we also pollute the world, the sinfulness. We go around. So even the earth and the heavens, that's another symbol for sky. So you're like, well, how does the heavens pass away? Because we're going, <laughs> going to heaven. It's, it's a symbol, earth and the sky. All will pass away. Everything that we know in this, new, in this old world will pass in order for the new world to come. I'm jumping ahead. That's next week. But there has to be a passing of the old in order for the new to come. We also notice, fourthly, that everyone is before the throne. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Great and small. There's no one too great to escape the judgment. There's no one too small to be overlooked by the judgment as well. Everyone, great and small, that's a, another way of saying it, everyone will be before the throne one day. Nothing will save us. Nothing except for the blood and the body of Jesus. No matter what we accumulate for ourselves, no, ma no matter the accolades, no matter the degrees, no matter the finances, no matter the relationships, no matter anything that we here have on earth will save us. For all of us will be standing before the throne one day. And everything will be recorded. We observe that as well. And the books were opened. As I mentioned before, every action, every thought, every attitude. I'm standing here before you, just a little illustration here, because I'm, as a pastor, I'm not immune to that as well. <laughs> that as you go into heaven, that there are books written about me. Most of it, almost entirely all of it, is not good. Every attitude that I've had, Everything that I've said, every thought that's gone through my heart, every, every, everything that I've seen, it's written down. It's recorded. There's a biography of every single one of us, and all the counts will be paid. I, one day I'm going to go before God in heaven, and I don't know who's going to bring the book. Maybe it's the angel. <laughs> it's like, and then you're like, oh, here we go. And maybe have a little wheelbarrow to bring it out. Be like, here it is, Doug. Here's everything. Every chapter of your life, from the moment you were born to the moment you were here, written down, recorded. And the books were opened and read aloud for everyone to see. In other words, there's nothing that's hidden. The courts of heaven have everything they need to make the judgment correctly. Nothing hidden, nothing apart, nothing that's like, well, let me argue this way. No, everything is written down. Everything is there for everyone to see. There's books written about us and everything is recorded, but there's also 
the book of life, and thank God literally for the book of life. Another book was opened as well, which is the book of life. In Revelation 12c, we read, and this is the names of the books. This book is the names of those that have known Jesus, that have Jesus, that understand Jesus, that live out the ways of Jesus. And what's fascinating as we read about this book, I'm not here to argue who's going to be on the book, in the book, and how do you get on there? Is it free will? Is it predestination? Does God, you know, just write the names? He wrote the names in the book, therefore we are saved already. Like, we can have a conversation on the side here. But what we read, even earlier on in Revelation 13.8, and ESV translates it a little bit more accurately, we read this, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name, it, uh, that was uh, the beast, uh, name was not written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. So this book of life, we read here that there's names are written in the book before the foundations of the world. And maybe that's new for you today. What, there's great implications for that. I want to argue, again, from the predestination and the free will and how you live up. Do you, do, do you work your way into heaven? No. We'll get to that in a, in a little bit. But I believe that God knows who's going to choose him. That God already knows before you know who's going to choose him, who's going to live out their life for him. Because he already knows, imagine, we can't, but imagine a God that's omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere, all times. He knows all things, so he knows you and me. Everything is written. He knows who's going to choose. And those names are written down in the book. And I, maybe I've shared this picture before. Last year in 2022, I ran in the BMO Marathon. And at the end of it, everyone that participated, uh, you make it onto the name wall. Right? You make it onto the name wall. It says, congratulations, before I even run it. I'm like, I didn't even run it yet. I'm already on this name wall. You're already congratulating me. So this group of people huddling around these tiny names, and we go and look, and there it is, my little tiny name, uh, right in that big banner. And everyone's like, yes, no, take a picture of me with, with my name on it. And my wife, as she often does, humbles me in those moments. And as after I'm excited to take a picture of me, she was like, this name is great. Maybe you'll finish the marathon, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> thanks, you know, uh, you probably will. But man, the name, the book of life, the name written in heaven, it, can you imagine? Like, that's the book. That's where you want your name to be found. As happy as you were finding your name on that BMO, BMO wall, as much as you see your name on that degree, as long as you see your name on that plaque in front of your desk that has your accolades written over it, you want your name in the book of life where you get to spend all of eternity with God. That ought to rock us. That ought to shock us. That ought to be the vision and the mission and the values of our lives to be in the presence of God for all of eternity. Why? Because we also observe the names not in the book of life are in the lake of fire. Verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And there's so much written about this one passage. And I lean towards the interpretation aside that if most, if not all of Revelation is symbolic, I don't believe it's literally a lake of fire. But hell isn't a lake of fire, which we haven't talked too much about. Lake isn't so much about a lake of fire, a devil with pitchfork and horns. It's actually about separation. What do I mean by that? If, if heaven is eternal communion with God, then hell is eternal disconnection and separation from God. 
Because where God is, that's where joy is. And without God, there is no joy. So this place is eternal separation away from God. Just think back from the very beginning with Adam and Eve when they sinned. Right before they sinned, they were in Eden and they were uh, in the garden and they were with God in communion and relationship. And when they sinned, what happened? They got kicked out. They, got, they, they were thrown out of Eden and they were thrown out of the garden. And what does the garden in Eden represent? Relationship. So they were separated from, from God. So names not found in the book of life will have this eternal separation. And eighthly, a lot of observations in these short back verses, there is a second death. That there only isn't the first death, which is physical, which all of us will go through. But not all of us will go through the second death. In verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is what? The second death. That there is a second death, which is spiritual. That there's a physical death that we all go through, right? The old adage, there's two things guaranteed in life. What? Death and taxes. Yeah. <laughs> the death is coming for all of us. That's the first death. But as Christians, we don't, we don't shy away from that. In fact, that's, that death is what? Like the song goes, just a window into eternity. That death isn't something for those of us that know Jesus, that have this relationship with him. Death is just a window. It's just a door. It's just a way for me to go and spend eternity, all of commun a, a, a communion with God forever, where there is no weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there's only joy, streets made out of gold. That's next week. Okay, I'll get to that. But we have to understand that there is this second death as well, which comes actually back to the biggest idea here, which is, again, all accounts will be settled in the end. And this whole idea of judged by deeds, has been, I've been wrestling with it this week. Uh, what do I mean by this? Well, Revelation 20, let's go back to the text. Revelation 20, 12d to 13 says this, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and, the, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Done. Grant Osborne in his commentary says, We're saved by grace, but we're judged by works. So, for those of you that are saying, Doug, like, I don't like the way that this is going, I hope you're not going down that way, that our faith and our salvation in Jesus is only by what we do. That's not what we're saying. That's not what the text is saying. That's not what we believe as Christians. Salvation is by faith alone, it's by grace through faith, meaning that we can't earn our way into heaven. It's actually through a relationship that we're brought into heaven by Jesus. So what are we saying here? Daryl Johnson says it in this way in his book, Discipleship on the Edge. Deeds reveal values. Deeds reveal character. Deeds reveal our true allegiance. And deeds reveal what we really believe. So yes, we're saved by grace through faith. But our deeds, they show something. We're judged at the end. And the text isn't clear whether it's only believers or as non-believers. I think it's everyone. Everyone will be judged by, by what they do. At the end here, we will be judged by our current, by our actions in this life. And some texts, just to read through, quickly jot it down, are going to ask me for it afterwards. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 
Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out action, your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill the good purpose. Two more, 2 Peter 1.10-11, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich Welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And last support text, James 2, 17 to 19. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. I came across this uh, article uh, th um, this week uh, from Barna, which is a big research group mostly based in the States. And most of our data in the Christian world is based in the States. And I asked my professor of research why. And he says simply because our entire population of Canada is equal to the population of California in the States. We don't have enough people uh, to generate the, um, the, um, uh, uh, the scrutiny that's needed in academia. Uh, so most of the research comes through uh, in the States. And here, basically, you can't see all the fine print, but what this uh, text uh, shows us is that there's a correlation between, uh, between whether we believe we should keep our faith private and whether, uh, and whether we take the steps we need to our, uh, to our faith thriving. So I'll read this, um, for a little short excerpt from the article. Uh, privacy might seem like the natural habitat for faith formation in our increasingly individualized culture. Indeed, 56% of Christians feel their spiritual life is entirely private. These Christians who see faith as private are less likely to say it is very important to see progress in their spiritual life. 30% say progress is important as if versus 54% of those who don't consider their faith private less likely to say their faith is very important in their life today, and less likely to have weekly time with God. In other words, the idea that faith should be kept private is one of a bigger swirl of negative conditions that need to be addressed for people to see spiritual growth. And this leads me to think that many of us, maybe we haven't experienced spiritual growth, whether, and whether we haven't experienced the things of God, whether it's connected to this idea of how we think our faith is private. We actually haven't been living out our faith. And because we think it's private and we don't think we need to live out our faith, it leads to the spiritual decline of the church and maybe in our own lives. And maybe we don't do what we believe out of fear. Or maybe we do what we believe, what we ought to believe out of fear as well. Maybe we're, we fear how the church is going to ridicule us. So I don't actually believe this, but I'm going to do it as an action. Both ways aren't as good. But it doesn't really make any sense because here we see that if we have this true and genuine faith, there is this action that comes out from it. During the marathon training, I saw my physio quite a bit, uh, a lot. Uh, actually, that knee pain, uh, which I still wrestle with on and off. And he was like, yeah, Doug, like knee pain is normal with a lot of running, uh, runner's knee, jumper's knee, whatever you want to call it. Here's what you got to do. Three times a day, ice it for five to ten minutes, however long you can can. If it gets too, if the pain and swelling gets too much, maybe take an ibuprofen uh, if you can, but don't take too much uh, just for this first couple days. Uh, here are three exercises that I need you to do. Uh, start with just, you know, uh, sitting on a chair and just getting up. I'm like, wow, okay. That's, uh, 
pretty low barrier for me. You know, I can do more than that. It's like, really? Like, can you do this exercise? <laughs> uh, so the squats, split lunges, and whatnot, and I will progress from there. So the week I come back, a week I go back to him, and he's like, how's it going? I'm like, I don't know. I don't really see much improvement. He's like, really? Uh, did you do what I told you to do? And I'm like, do? <laughs> what do you mean by do? What do you mean by do what I told you? Yeah, yeah, you know, told you to ice your, your, your knee. I told you to take the ibuprofen if you need it. I told you to do these three exercises, you know, 10 reps in the morning and 10 at night. Like, did you do them? It's like, oh, we actually meant it. Like, right? Imagine if I said that, like, you actually, meant, you actually meant for me to do it. It's like, well, and then he comes up to me. He's like, well, he will say, do you trust me? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the best physio. You're the best. You know, like, I love being with you. You know, like, all that. It's like, well, but why aren't you doing what I'm telling you to do? And I, maybe in some ways we come before God in that way. Right? Like, God knows what's best for us. God knows, and he's created us. He knows us. He knows what's needed for our thriving. But we kind of take it in that way that we don't believe that God maybe is serious as we read out the scripture and the actions that we take. Now, again, the actions do not save us. That's not what I'm talking about. But what we see here is that all accounts will be paid for and it will be settled. And everything we've done and not done will be recorded in, in, in the text, in, in, the, in the book at the end. But here's the issue here. Maybe as a church, we're too afraid to call out each other because we live out in this highly individualized time where you do you, your faith is private, I don't know your faith, so I don't want to judge. So the moment that I come across, like, hey, how are you living out your life for Christ? We either don't share it because we're afraid to be judged, or if someone says it in a way that we're not ready to take, we say, don't judge me. And this feels this cycle that maybe we drive into this deeper inner hiding, and we're ashamed of ourselves. But here we see that action is important as well, that as a church, what we do, and as Christians, what we do matters before God. Luke 4, 6, 46, Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I say. It's what Jesus is saying to us. It's what God is saying. This is for all of us to thrive and to have this life with God that he wants so badly for all of us. Because if I come back to this question again, as I'm coming to an end here, what would you say if you died tonight and find yourself standing before God and God asked you, why should I let you enjoy eternal life with me? I've been thinking a lot about that question this week and it's led me to a lot of tears. It's led me down to my knees. It's actually led me down to a state where I come to realize again that I'm not worthy. That I'm not worthy. That the answer to this question is I'm not worthy. That if God asks me that question, and he will ask, as I stand before him, that I'm not worthy. But God, you are. But Jesus, you are worthy. I'm not worthy. I can't, but you can. You love me more than I could ever love myself than I've ever been loved. You know me than I know, you, you know me more than I know myself. So Jesus, I can spend eternity with you because of you. That's the answer. That in the end, as I was saying with all these books that's, that's been written about us, in the end, all of us are Bible-believing, Christian and God-fearing, Christ followers, all of us all our resumes, all our biographies will be marked in red. You'll be like, that thing that you said to that person, 
Let's cross that out. That thing that you thought, that video that you saw, the things that you're doing, the things that you worshipped that weren't God, everything, there'll be line after line, and your page will be marked in red, not from a red ink, but from the blood of Christ. From the blood and the body of Christ, all of this will be erased. And God's not going to say, I don't see any of that, but because of Jesus, it's all been erased. Your debt has been paid. It's final. Welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. And spend all of eternity with me. So what? Today, if you don't know Jesus, that's the call. To follow him. To choose Jesus because there's life and freedom found in the name of Jesus. Don't hesitate. Today is the day for you to say, yes, God, I haven't figured everything out. I don't know everything in life. I'm not perfect. I haven't lived in a way that's pleasing to you. But God, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know I want you and I want life with you. I want to live with you forever to experience eternal communion because I'm tired and I'm weary of trying to do this thing on my own. Today is the day for you to choose Jesus. It's not only for those that don't believe, but also for those that may have walked away. And maybe that's you today, that you walked away from the faith and you feel like God hasn't been near. But today is the day that God is calling you again, saying, come home. I am who you need. Come home back to me. Second, don't hesitate in following God's calling, whatever that looks like. To love your spouse more, to be a better friend, to fulfill that promise you did to your friend that while ago, to say what you need to say and to live in a way that's God-honoring and God-fearing. For you, maybe a tangible action that he's giving you very specific spiritual gifts and you've been holding it back for a long time because of fear, because of doubt, because of whatever. And today is the day you're like, what? I, don't, I can't hesitate anymore, God. I'm going to live my life full out for you. And we don't do this very often. I was convicted of this yesterday when I went to the seminar. The, the, the speaker who did a book launch says that pastors and preachers don't, today don't call people to the altar very often anymore. The people don't call, uh, the preachers don't call people to the cloth anymore. And maybe there's some of you here today, and, and full-time ministry looks in diff, looks, comes in different shapes and, and forms. But maybe some of you have been experiencing this and feeling this calling that God has for you to serve in full-time with full-time ministry. And you've been running for a long time because of fear, because of doubt again, because of all these things. And hear this, discern well with people around you, but maybe this is the day for you to say, God, I'm all in. This is the day that I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to go all in for you. Because at the end of it all, all accounts will be settled. All accounts will be settled. And what will it say in your biography? What will it say on your form? Will it be marked in red because of the blood of Jesus? Or will it be the other? Eternal separation from God. Let's pray. Father, at this moment, in this heavy text, we just say that you are worthy and that you know it all. God, I pray today that even in light of this hard passage and this hard text, it's actually out of a father's love 
that you call us and that you beckon us. Father, so at this moment, we repent of all the ways that have not pleased you. And we say sorry. And for my friends here, God, that do not yet know you, maybe in this moment, God, they're feeling your, they're hearing your voice and sensing your presence, and they're saying that they're tired and weary of living this life on their own. At this moment, I pray for them and with them that they'll come to experience your love, that starting this moment, that they'll say, God, you are my God. I'm sorry for the things that I've done, and I'll follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, for the blood and the cross that's been broken, for, for, the, for the blood that is shed in the body that's been broken. And thank you for the eternal life that you give me. And Father, I pray for all of us as a church that we live lives of faith, but not only lives of faith, but faith that leads us to action because you call us, Lord, to change the world, not under our own power, but under the power of Christ. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.